0: Hi, everybody. Travis Frank here with a holiday gift idea that might just be the greatest gift you can give a loved one, especially a mentor in your life or a young child. I'm talking about a lifetime hunting or fishing license. Heck, you can even get them both. That's what my wife and I did for our two boys. We saved up and got them each a lifetime sportsman license when they were five and six years old. Just last week, my entire family pitched in to get our nephew a lifetime sportsman license this year for Christmas. It's the gift that keeps giving for the rest of their life. If they move out of Minnesota, that's okay. Their license is always valid when they come back. If license prices go up, that's okay. Their license is already purchased. When I say forever, I mean forever. And just think about all of the memories they'll be making on the water, in the fields, and in the woods. The process to obtain this license is very simple. Just head to the Minnesota DNR website and search for lifetime licenses. You'll see all of the licenses available and the information needed to order them. This year, instead of purchasing a gift that will go out of style or get tossed in the dumpster, get your loved one a gift that lasts forever. Share the outdoor passion this holiday season. One day, they might just tell you it's the greatest gift they ever received.
1: everybody welcome to the minnesota bound podcast the stories behind the stories i'm laura sherry your host for today and our next guest is a good friend of mine and also Ron share productions travis Mears is a professional shotgun shooter um he also is an exhibition shooter a shotgun trick shooter i think the list goes on but we're excited to have travis to the minnesota bound podcast all the way from texas travis how are you doing
2: I'm great. I really appreciate you having me on. I uh, um, have enjoyed coming to Minnesota and meeting you and your dad and and everybody else involved in the uh, the event, uh, the game fair over the years. And so cool to to get to catch up with you here in the off season.
1: I know. I'm really excited to chat with you. Um, your story is an interesting one. And uh, for those of you that aren't uh, familiar with Travis, he is the um, I'll say the crowd favorite of the shows that happen at Game Fair every August. And uh, you are a shotgun trick shooter. So you have an exhibition show that you do two times uh, every day that Game Fair is on and you always fill up the stands. So I wanted to have you on the podcast to learn about your passion and really understand, I mean, you're really a professional athlete in the world of shooting sports, let's be honest. Um, I should also <laughs> mention to the folks that Travis, before we get started, is um, a 12-time collegiate national champion, um, and that's for individual competition, by the way. That's not team competition. So, impressive to say the least, your shooting ability. Um, so, before we get into, you know, how do you do trick shots, if you can even explain those, like how did you... you guys- <laughs> at a really young age
2: I did I was uh I was fortunate to literally grow up at the shooting range and and uh and my dad would literally take me as a baby in a diaper and uh nowadays I think they would call it abuse because he would you know tie me up (laughs) to a a pole in the skeet range and while him and his his shooting buddies shot skied, I would walk in circles and when he'd get done shooting he'd he'd turn me around and I'd go the other way around the pole um (laughs) And so, you know, <laughs> being we out
1: there, hearing protection, let's start there.
2: Oh, you know, I, I doubt <laughs> it back then. I doubt it. And which probably has a lot to do with my, you know, current uh, hearing issues. But, um, yeah, I, I, I was, I was blessed to be able to go hunting with dad and, and, uh, and be at the range often. And then, um, as soon as I was old enough to even try to hold up a shotgun, uh, dad and all his buddies were were getting me started. And, um, those, those guys really took a, uh, a passion to, you know, helping me. And, and then, uh, I think they were, you know, I think they were a little upset, but it didn't take too long before I was beating up on them a little bit as a, you know, a little 10, 12 year old kid. And, and, uh, that, that, uh, success that I was having really sparked my dad and some of the other guys in the area to, to start some youth shooting programs, which at the time, there was none, and and uh, really impressive now the, the the size of the youth shooting programs. But back then there was nothing, and so we started a little shooting team. We started with four kids, and by the time I graduated high school, we had seventy kids that were traveling all over the state and all over the country competing, and and uh, so to say all that to say, I've I've literally been shooting since the the I was old enough or or strong enough to hold up a shotgun. And, uh, at 36 now, I, I still love it just as much as the, the first day when I broke my first target. So it's, uh, it's cool to,
1: did you have just like a very natural ability right off the bat or was your dad just had you out there so many days in a row and was really coaching you? I mean, you kind of look back at videos of Tiger Woods, for instance, like obviously there's some natural ability there, but his father was also, you know, we're going golfing every single day for hours. Um, was it a combination of that, or what do you do you think you just had this natural gift?
2: I think there was uh a, a little bit of natural gift I mean you know just like just like uh youngsters in other sports you know the the first day some are better than others, and so I had you know some natural ability but uh dad you know is super disciplined and focused and so he you know uh he he used that natural ability um you know, for me to continue to get better. And then,
0: you know, one
2: thing I I pat my parents on the back for all the time is they never let me miss an opportunity. Um, if that meant they were going to drive all night to get me to the next tournament or to, uh, you know, spend their last dollar for me to get, you know, a little bit more reloading components to, uh, um, you know, have more shells, they would do that. And so um, you know, with with years of that kind of dedication – I was able to focus on continuing to get better, and and you know that that drive and that uh, work ethic that as collectively as a family we were putting into it, you know, started paying off with with you know winning some trophies, and then you know now I I make a living doing it uh, in in multiple different ways: shoot sporting clays professionally, and do trick shows all over the country, which I love and I'm super passionate about, and then also. Uh, I own a couple shooting ranges here in in Fort Worth uh, with some other guys that, you know, every day I get to go to the range. So it's uh, really cool how it's kind of all come together. And and like I said a minute ago, uh, the passion for the game and the passion for introducing new people to the game uh, is just as much as it was, you know, 20 years ago.
1: So cool. That's when you know you're you're doing the thing God meant you to do when you have that much passion every single day. And, you know, it wasn't like you just graduated from college and all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, I'm a professional shotgun shooter. I mean, you really had to put time and effort and hard work in like everybody else to really make it, you know, a full-time career. Were you, um, you know, just doing exhibition shows on the weekends while had a business career for a while? And then you, when was the transformation into (laughs) full-time?
2: Well, I, uh, my goal going into school was to, uh, to, to, kind of mirror some of the guys that, uh, I, I was at the range with all the time, you know? So, so go to the, the range and you see these guys that, you know, have successful businesses and they're able to go on these cool hunts and, um, and go shoot all these tournaments and travel all over the place. And they're, you know, and so my goal was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to school and, and, um, uh, get a business school and, 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 go into business and have a nice or a a successful business so that I can afford to go do all these, you know, at the time hobbies that I enjoy. And, uh, and so that was the goal. And I went to, um, I went to school to shoot. So I actually got um, uh, what he called recruited to go to Lindenwood University in St. Charles, Missouri um, to shoot on their shotgun team. And at the time the team was pretty young and the whole idea of scholarships for for shooting sports was still very new, um, and so took advantage of that opportunity and and went to Wood, um and shot for the team and ended up getting my business degree and 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 my senior year when I came home, um, I guess for summer my my now wife and I got engaged and so at that point I was I was going home I'm going to work and you know starting life, um, but the school really wanted me to come back and stay for one more year. And so they uh, they ended up offering my wife and I a, uh, an extra opportunity to stay for another year of eligibility and shoot for the school. And And my wife and I both got our MBA there at Lenderwood. And so, you know, once we completed that and got that extra year of shooting in, which was a huge blessing because that that final year was the year that I was able to win a bunch of. I won a bunch of championships that year. Uh, I think five of the seven uh, championships I won. Um, So then I I moved home and it's time to make money and start a family and all that stuff. Um, But I'll take a couple steps back in school, um, you know, in an effort to kind of branch off and not rely on your parents as much. um, As I got a little bit of an internal entrepreneur in me. And so uh, I was trying to figure out a way to, make some extra money and so there was there's very few trick shooters in the world that are like right now today there's only let's say five or six of us in the whole world which is kind of hard to believe mm-hmm.
1: um, it's hard to do
2: <laughs> it it is and it's you know I mean, it's an expensive thing to learn uh, sure. but I, I, you know uh, <laughs> I, I was shooting sporting plays I'd won the uh I'd won the ESPN great outdoor games in 2004. Um, which was in Madison, Wisconsin. And at that time, Beretta picked me up. And so Beretta was sponsoring me and at the national championship in October of that year, um, I, I kind of smarted off. You you can imagine a, you know, a little punk 17 year old kid um, with a new, you know, bright and shiny sponsor kind of popped up and said, I want to start doing some trick shooting. And they, and now still a good buddy of mine, John Bauer, he kind of laughed a little bit. And uh, we went our separate ways and everybody went home after the nationals. But uh, he called me like a month later and he goes, okay, I got your first show set up at in Grand Rapids, Michigan for the uh, pheasants, or not the pheasants, the uh, Rough Grouse Society National Convention. And I'm like, what? Uh-oh. I'm not, I'm not a trick shooter. <laughs> I said I want to be, and so but uh, nevertheless, I took on the challenge and stacked up a bunch of targets at the at the range, stacked up a bunch of shells. And uh, long story short, I taught myself how to trick shoot. Uh, what was
1: your first trick shot? What were you? what did you first start off with? Which one?
2: Well, I'd always dabbled with uh, shooting a few ski targets from the from the hip, you know, and Dad and I'd be practicing. I'd save a few shells for the end of the round, and I'd i tell him to, you know, throw, throw the low crosser. I'd stand on station four and shoot it. And, uh, you know, I'd break some or I'd miss some, but you know, I I had enough taste that, uh, I knew I could do it. And so the hip shooting is still my favorite and what I do the majority of in my shows, but, um, it was also the first. And I think, I think most all trick shooters would, would say that to a certain extent, um, but yeah, so I, I taught myself how to trick shoot. And so then uh, going back to kind of being an entrepreneur, I started to thinking, you know, I bet I can make a little money doing this. And so, you know, a little gas, beer money. During college, I started traveling all over on the weekends, all over the country. Um, I was flying in and out all the time, doing shows all over the place. And uh, the schedule only allowed probably, you know, 10, maybe 15 shows a year back then, but it was enough to where You know, I wasn't asking mom and dad for gas money or, or anything like that anymore. And then, you know, once I graduated and got home and, and had a little bit more flexibility, I started doing more shows and, and over the last probably for sure five years, but over the last 10 years, I've been doing 25 or 30 shows a year all over the country, um, which if you think there's only 52 weekends in the year, that's, that's quite a, that's quite a bit. Um, it is. and still, and still keeping my sporting place schedule, um, where I'll, you know, I'll probably shoot you know, close to 10,000 registered targets a year between, between five and 10, depending on the year. Um, which means, you know, another 15 or 20 weekends. Uh, so, um, it's it's a lot of fun. I love it, and and now um, I've, I've turned it into uh, my career with the uh, the ranges. And so, needless to say, I've got three full time jobs, and I love all three of them.
1: It's <laughs> incredible, you know. When for those of uh, the listeners that haven't seen your show, can you kind of describe um, the tricks that you do? Because there's a variety of them. It's not just like you're throwing some. Uh, clay pigeons up with one hand and shooting with another. I mean, it's a very extensive and extremely difficult shooting that you're doing. So, can you kind of give us a taste, just verbally, of of what your trick
2: shots are, what you're shooting, what does it look like? For sure, yeah. So, so uh, trick shows were uh, they started? Um, ha- Manufacturer would hire guys back in the you know early 20s. Herb Parsons and some of the other guys that would travel around and. The whole purpose of a trick show is, first of all, to entertain the crowd. Second of all, to promote uh, certain products. And so, you know, over the years, it's become more entertainment than, than promotions. But the show is about 30 to 40 minutes long. And in that 30 to 40 minutes, I'll shoot anywhere from 300 to 400 shells. Um, and so you can do the math on that. It's a lot of shooting and a little bit of time. And And I'll probably be talking to the crowd. Um, you know, a third of that time and shooting the rest. Uh, But the show will consist of every shot that you're not supposed to do. So from the hip behind the back, one handed, left handed gun upside down over my head. Um, I'll shoot one gun, throw it, have somebody catch it, run over to a table, grab another gun and shoot a second target before it hits the ground from the hip Um, in my show. Uh, one one shot that I've done that uh, in my shows that nobody else has ever done is the trampoline. I'll jump on the trampoline and shoot targets from the hip as they're flying from left to right and right to left. And then uh, another cool show. And I mentioned John earlier. John, this was something that John Bauer dreamed up. But uh, I'll hang upside down in an inversion table and shoot targets uh, going from left to right and right to left. And it's a fast-paced, really entertaining. Uh, way to waste a lot of shells and a little bit of time and so (laughs) uh, it's high energy and uh, a lot of fun not only for me but for the crowd Um, I always say the first half of the show is for me because it's a lot of uh, extreme shots that have challenged me and that are fun to to execute Um, as a shooter I think that's the cool part but the second half of the show is what everybody always talks about. And that's when, uh, I'll shoot. Um, I'll probably, uh, well, I'll shoot a ton of fruits and vegetables, which if you shoot a watermelon, (laughs) if you shoot a watermelon at 10 feet with 12 gauge shotgun, uh, it, it evaporates and it blows pieces all over the place, sometimes in the crowd and man, people just love that. And, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, 8 months old or 88 years old, you can't help but smile when somebody blows up a watermelon or an apple with a shotgun. So, um, it's it's a lot of fun. People get a kick out of it and the cool thing is is uh it's one of those things where even if you're not a shooter, you can tell that it's an extreme um level of uh difficulty which mm-hmm resonates with people and, uh, there's like this big appreciation, you know, and and we're not, you know, I'm not making millions of dollars like these pro athletes, but, uh, I am getting to share my passion for the shotgun sports and pull the trigger at the same time and, uh, you know, make enough money to get to the next show kind of deal, you know?
1: It is incredible. And I, um, I had an opportunity a few years ago to, um the gould brothers i'm sure you're familiar with them There's are some trick uh-huh. shooters as well and they tried to teach me how to do one simple trick shot and that was um the same thing that you started off with was shooting from the hip and you would just toss a clay target and they were tossing the clay target for me just barely lobbing it in front of you and right. um i couldn't hit that it, i mean to save my life. We tried, we tried. It is that simple. What you think looks so simple. And again, I mean, the clay target is so close to you at that point. I mean, obviously it makes a little bit more difficult, but um, that is very challenging. The basic trick shot is extremely difficult for your average, (laughs) let alone what you're doing um, to give some perspective on the difficulty level of what you do. And that, to me does explain why there's only a handful of people that have the ability to do this. And um, do you spend time trying to find like new tricks to add to your shows every year? Like what, is there like something like the smallest thing you've ever hit or um, try to to change it up just for your own entertainment? Cause you do the same thing so much.
2: Yeah. I felt like uh, for the first, I think I've been doing it for 18 years now. And for the first, you know, 10 years, I felt like I was always trying to find something new or, or change something. Um, but I actually spent quite a bit of time this year looking at my, kind of my, uh, my list and and, and my show uh, lineup. And I could not change it. It, it, Oh, it took you know ten years to perfect it, and yeah. and when I say perfect it, it's not about the shots, it's not about any of that. It's about the flow of it, and it's about uh, the engagement with the um, with the people in the crowd. Sure. And so it, it's kind of one of those things where I'll, I'll bring you up and then I'll I'll slow it down, then I'll bring you up and then I'll slow you down, and so that the whole show is a level of uh, entertainment and not you know well I liked that part and not that part, and so. Um, I always try to put a spin on it or I might flip flop a few things in the, the schedule. But as far as like a total overhaul, I just can't bring myself to do it. Um, you know, I, I try to push the limit sometimes, especially if I know I'm, and I've done this at the game fair cause you know, doing, what is it? Uh, 12 shows over six days, you know, by the, by the fifth or sixth show, I mean, I'm a, Fine-tuned machine. I'm shooting really good, and so I'll push the limits. And I might, you know, normally where I'd stop at seven targets from the hip, I might go to nine, and you know, and, and make <laughs> a big and make a big deal about you know tying the world record. I'm going to throw nine and shoot them from the hip, and you know, and sometimes it works. Even if it doesn't, people love that you tried. And so those kind of spins I'll you know throw in there to uh, make it a little different for the people that may or may not have seen it before, you know. So
1: incredible. I mean, if you haven't had the chance to see Travis, I'm just chatting to our listeners right now. If you get the time, put it on your calendar for August. uh, It's the second and third weekend in in August game fair. And Travis is there every year. um, It is a treat to see you shoot. Um, It's just as kind of unbelievable. You don't believe that it was even possible. I mean, how does someone shoot seven to nine clays from a hip um and you're throwing those from your hand is that correct
2: yeah i'll throw them uh, i'll throw them and then bring the gun up and shoot them from the hip and um crazy yeah and that's that's one thing that i've always done uh, a little different than the kind of the historical american trick shooters american trick shooters would you know hurt parsons and you know not not throw anybody on the bus steve and aaron and patrick and some of the other guys that have Come and and uh, and done this over the years. With they, they'll shoot a little bit more from the shoulder than what I will. And, you know, um, the only things I'll shoot from the shoulder the entire show will be uh, the paint can at the beginning, and then uh, the red, white, and blue at the end. Um, I, I think the trick shot should be a trick shot, and so that's I, I try to do some of those extreme shots. And you know, going back to teaching, you used to shoot from the hip. You just had the wrong coach.
1: I know. I you and I need to spend some time and see if we can. I just my dream to shoot one from the hip. That's it. Just one flavor.
2: <laughs> oh gosh. Steve and Aaron are great hey, guys super. and good buddies of mine. And and uh, uh, I love to give them a hard time anytime I can. Yeah, uh, Steve actually came out to the uh, game fair to watch one of my shows when I was there last last year. So
1: oh, awesome! Um, yeah, they're
2: guys. Nice. Yeah, yeah, good guys.
1: Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. Our
3: good friends at connecticut yep, Connecticut water. You know already how much my family loves Connecticut. We have it in our home, and this summer we added it The cabin life up north, and oh boy, what a difference. You see, for as long as I can remember, we have always dealt with cabin water. You know, that stinky, foul well water. But after really a painless four-hour installation, we had Kinetico soft water in the cabin and also Kinetico's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make coffee in the morning, Great drinking water right out of the K-5 tap. The laundry, it smells great now. And the Connecticut water cleaned up both our showers and also our dishes. The world's most effective worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family just like the shirks did. Hewitt Docks, Lifts, and Pontu Legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock
2: install and removal easier by inventing the Dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic Dock or the new Ultra Dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts, and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt.
1: How many, um, do you have to practice like a certain number of days of the week or if you're getting tuned up? I mean, is this, does it kind of just stick with you or are you out there, you know, similar to what pro golfers or whatever? I mean, you out there. All the time shooting.
2: No, I should, but I, I don't. Um, I early writers. on, early on, I was shooting a ton. Like it wouldn't be a big deal for me to go out there and shoot, you know, seven hundred fifty thousand shells um, in one afternoon. But at that time, I was trying to fine tune the skill and you know, and still learning. Now it's so natural; like I cannot do it for six months and go out there and you know, and do just as good as I did before. Um, It's just, it's now my competitive shooting is not like that. If I'm not practicing uh, my sporting clays on a regular basis, then I'm not fine tuned. I'm not, um, I'm not shooting to my, my capabilities. And so the, the, the trick shooting is just so, it's so natural and instinctual. You're looking at something and your mind and your hands and your hand eye coordination are reacting to whatever the brain's saying. And it goes to the target. And it's just a, more, it's much, much more natural than shooting from the shoulder. Um, really? I say, I say it now, you know, it's not in the beginning. But once you once you figure it out, it's, it's way more natural than shooting from the shoulder.
1: That is personally. interesting. I never would have thought that.
2: Well, think, um, I don't know where you're sitting right now. But let's say you're, you're sitting in the, at your computer. If I told you to just point at your computer, you could do it without looking at the computer right? Yes. And so all of our life, we've learned this, this, uh, natural, uh, ability to point at something. And so whether you're driving down the road and, you know, uh, your husband or wife says, you know, what, where do you want to eat? You, you point to the right and say, McDonald's, you didn't, you didn't aim at McDonald's. You just pointed. And that's, that's trick shooting and, and, uh, instinctual shooting. You're you're literally looking at something and your hands are going to that. Um, so it takes all the aiming. It takes all the measuring out. It's just literally this natural pointing of the shotgun, um, which makes it possible for me to shoot, you know, 10 targets in less than a second and a half. Um, you don't have time to aim. You're just you're just pointing and shooting. And uh, it's pretty. it's pretty cool. It's pretty natural.
1: Pretty fun. So do you think that with, um, you know, with sporting clays versus trick shooting and I seem to, I can, for my own personal struggles, I have a tendency to do better at sporting clays than I do even at pheasant hunting. And I've always equated it to, I have less time to think about it in some sporting clay situations and with pheasants, I don't know if I just get too much in my head and then I end up missing more. Yeah. Um, is, you know, and then even when I was quail hunting, that was even faster. And I had even more success there than I ever did pheasant hunting. So I, I don't know if I'm just too much in my head or what, but.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're in control on a sporting clays course too. You get to, you get to say pull when you want the target and, you know, when it comes out, you can, you're ready and you react to it. Or when we're in the field, I mean, you know, most of the time we'll be behind a pointing dog, but still you never know where it's going when it's coming how fast it's going to fly and so there's uh there's literally no control it's just throw the gun up and fire and so sometimes you don't put the same amount of effort into shooting at a bird that we would at a clay target and then uh another thing is is when we shoot sporting clay somebody's standing behind you with a pencil and a And a score sheet that's, you know, putting X's when you hit it and O's when you miss it. So there's a level of pressure where you're trying to do better. Nobody's scoring if you hit the pheasants or not, you know.
1: (laughs) My dad's just yelling at me,
2: especially for the game.
1: That was $20 that just got away.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he he needs to put in a tire choke and play backup then.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly
2: that's funny that's
1: funny do you have um you know I always love to tap the brains of professional shooters that you know that this is what you do for a living if you have advice for um people on how they can improve their shooting just let's just start with sporting clays since that's um one of your main um, right. part of your question do you have like advice uh, on how to use if you do any coaching or there's you know three steps that you always start with or advice that you give people?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I do uh, coach quite a bit. Uh, um, you know, depending on what level you are, um, it it really comes down to the same stuff. Uh, that's important at the end of the day, and and whether it's clay targets or birds, it's all the same. Um, when we when we're trying to shoot a moving target the two things that are extremely important for us being consistent is we have to move the gun, the same speed and same target or same, uh, lines. Okay. So same speed and same line as your target, whether it's a clay target or a bird. Um, and so for us to be able to do that, we've got to start the gun in the correct position. So in sporting clays, we call it a hold point. We, we first, when we get to the station, figure out where we want to break it, you know, determining, uh, what the target's doing, let's say it's a crosser from the right to the left, and I'm going to shoot it over here in front of my you know, left shoulder. If I bring the gun all the way back to the trap, and when I say trap, I mean clay target machine, the target comes out. It's going to get a head start on me, okay? And so if I I have to speed the gun up to get to the target, and then I've got to acquire it, and then I've got to shoot it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that change in speed from going really fast, trying to catch up to then getting to the target, and having to slow down is what causes people to shoot in front or behind. It's a timing game. We've got to get everything moving together for us to be uh, consistent in any, in any uh, capacity. Um, and so, what we call as a whole point, a whole point is where we start the gun when we say pull. Um, going back to the crosser example, um, on a crossing presentation, the whole point should be about halfway back to where the target's coming from. So if I'm okay. breaking it over here to the left and it's coming from the right, I'm coming halfway back. And that gives your, your eyes uh, half of the target flight path to be able to see the speed, the line, and what the target's doing. And then the second half is when we uh, move the same speed and same line as the target. Which allows us um, time to to make the proper moves to get in front, however much we need for that particular presentation. And so, when I work with uh, sporting clays or clay target students, you know, we work a ton on getting the gun uh, placement in the right spot, and and it really will um, simplify getting to where you need to be, especially in a consistent uh, way. And the same thing goes for when we're in the field um if if you've got uh, let's say we're in a pheasant scenario if if the dogs are on point in front of us and I've got the gun safely over the over the top of the the dogs, and the bird comes up and it comes out uh, below the gun and passes and goes over the gun again, like the clay target we talked about earlier, you've got to speed up and go up to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're, the bird's going up at 10 miles an hour and your gun's going, you know, 30 miles an hour trying to catch up. The only way for you to actually hit that bird is for you to pull the trigger at exactly the right time when you get to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, so if you can raise your gun a little bit to where you've got a head start on that, that bird. So as it's coming up, you're mounting the gun to the shoulder. And instead of trying to catch up, you're actually mounting to the bird then it's gonna give you uh, more time with it. And it's gonna give you the, the opportunity to match the speed and the line, which is gonna increase your success dramatically. Um, the other thing that you know a lot of people will kind of overlook is we've gotta have a gun that, that fits us. And uh, we can make any gun fit, like I can pick up any gun on the shelf and and I can go break a clay target. But can I go shoot the best of my ability? No. Um, because some are going to go to the pocket a little easier. Some are going to line up a little better. Um, my, my particular competition guns made for me, the stocks built for me. And so I have this confidence level of every time I throw it up, it's going to hit the same spot in my shoulder. It's going to hit the same spot in my face and it's going to be pointing directly where my eye is looking. And, you know, everybody's a little different. Some people line up really well with one brand and not the other. Um, I mean, you know, and, and, um, over the years there's been, you know, changes to, to stocks, for example, the, the one of the guns that you're shooting, the, uh, the siren is made for the female build. Uh, it's a little shorter length. It's got a little higher cone. The, the reach to the trigger is shorter. And so just another example of trying to take a, you know, a really nice gun and fit it to, um, uh, a, a female shooter,
1: Um, that's a game changer for me siren I mean it has completely changed my shooting abilities my confidence in the field um I had struggled with gun fit for a lot of years even bringing uh prior guns to gunsmiths and I just I was then you go to pattern the gun it was off and um siren really changed it for me I mean gun fit is so critical and I'm sure it doesn't matter you know they say well of course for females gun fit should you know it's you can't just use a men's gun or whatever, but as you'd mentioned within the different brands, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And, and even if you've, you know, if you've got a, f- a favorite gun that maybe your dad, you know, passed <laughs> down to you or something, uh, there are ways to make it fit. Um, you know, I, I, I get all my stocks made by winning custom gun stocks in Missouri and, and, uh, they do an incredible job to, they take a block of wood and they turn it into a piece of art that fits you like a glove. And then, you know, there's other people that will, that will uh, take your stock that comes factory on your gun and they, they can bend it. And they do that by, you know, uh, putting it in this really hot oil over a certain amount of time and then manipulating the stock to where it, you know, fits the dimensions. Um, and then, you know, there's simple stuff like, adding length of pull for really tall people or shortening it for shorter people. Um, there's all kinds of things that you can do to make your shotgun you better. And, and I cannot emphasize how important that is for, you know, for your success in the, in the field or on the range, because, um, it doesn't matter if you do everything right, um, move the gun properly, start in the right spot, do all of those things correctly. If the gun's not shooting where you're looking, you don't have any chance of hitting. And so, uh, you know, I, I, urge people to, uh, you know, go to the range, um, uh, you can get in the mirror, make sure the gun's safe and unloaded, you get in the mirror and mount into the mirror. And if your eye is high or low or left or right, of uh, right on the rib, and we're talking about a shotgun here, if the eye of the pupil is directly on top of the rib in the middle, then mm-hmm. that gun should be shooting where you're looking. And most guns uh, are going to have two beads. We call it a mid bead and a front bead. And if they don't, they might just have a front bead. Um, The relationship you want between those two beads is you you want them to look like a figure eight, or uh, since you're in Minnesota, a snowman. The mid bead needs to be sitting on the bottom of the front bead, and and we call it a figure eight. And if they're if they're you know not lined up like that, then the gun's going to be shooting. you know left right high or low we've got to have those things uh straight for it to be shooting where we're looking and so there's you know there's a lot of different ways where you can you know get that figured out um but uh, most guns especially our semi-automatics that we you know buy from whatever retailer um most of them are going to have what we call a shim kit so you can Mm -hmm. You can adjust the shims to uh, lower or raise the stock or cast off or cast on. And so there's a ton of different ways, but I just, uh, you know, when I'm working with students, you know, uh, getting them to hit the targets, the easy part, getting them to hit the targets more often is the hard part. And a lot of that has to do with uh, your equipment, uh, whether it fits you or not. And then uh, the skill of getting moving with the target Um, and then eyes, eyes are extremely important, you know, have a good shooting lens or something that enhances color um, so that you can, you know, see what you're trying to hit. And, you know, uh, one thing that is pretty common for people to struggle with, if you, if you kind of know what you're doing and you, and you have the right equipment, but you're still not shooting really well, uh, then oftentimes there's an eye issue and it's, it's not uncommon for people to be cross dominant or center dominant, what I mean by cross dominant is you're right-handed, you're right, right-handed, you shoot right-handed, but your left eye is dominant.
1: Interesting. So the problem is,
2: yeah, so when you mount the gun, the left eye is taken over, and, and it like if you're shooting a straightaway, like a pheasant, pro, a pheasant presentation, if your left eye is in control and you're shooting right-handed, you're going to shoot two feet to the left of that pheasant every time which if it's a crosser from the right, you're shooting in front. If it's a crosser from the left, you're shooting behind. And so there's a, there's a, you know, several different ways to compensate for cross dominance. If you're a new shooter, then I'd urge you to switch to whatever dominance that you are. Uh, eye wise, if you're left eye dominant and typically right-handed, I'd I'd urge you to try to shoot left-handed. Um, but you know, a lot of times we're so right-handed or so left-handed that we can't, uh, we don't have the hand-eye coordination to do that switch. And so um, uh, what we'll do in the competitive world is we'll put like a little piece of scotch tape over that dominant eye. And mm-hmm. it doesn't take away 100% of the vision, but it takes away the dominance. So it makes that it makes that uh, that right eye um, that's over the gun uh, take over. And at that point, the picture that you're trying to make with the, the, the gun target presentation Is a whole lot easier to find, and uh, definitely find with consistency.
1: That's really important to make sure you really understand which which eye is is really wanting to run the show for you. Because I I write right handed, you know, I shoot right handed. I do believe I'm right eye dominant. Now you're making me second guess it, but (laughs) I will throw (laughs) left. I throw darts left. I want a bowl left. So I have this weird right left situation going. Um, but as you were talking, I was like pointing at a tree out the window and, you know, they do say you point at something and if you close one eye and your finger stays on that tree you're pointing at, that is the dominant eye. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. That's correct. There's a ton of different ways to figure it out. But just for example, you know, we're, we're pointing at the tree and with both eyes open, we're not squinting at all. If I close my left eye, the finger doesn't move. If I close my right eye, it takes me two feet to the right. And so you know, clear indicator that my right eye is my strong eye.
1: Got it. I feel like my finger was moving inches when I, for both eyes, when I closed one
2: <laughs> Well, <laughs> cross eyed <laughs> and, 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 and to be honest with you, Laura, that's, that's so common. It's, it's, it's uh, unbelievably frustrating that about, I'd say 75% of females are either cross dominant or center dominant. And, uh, it's so frustrating, but at the same time, it's it's uh, it's uh showing your intelligence because you're using both sides of your brain equally, where mm-hmm. I'm uh, only using my, uh, I guess, I think it's the left side of the brain. I can't remember, you know, which is, uh, and I, for, I forget, it's been a while since we learned that, but there's one your side of your brain that's side. like, Math yeah, side. you got your logical, and then you got your, what, what's the other side?
1: Creative. Right side's okay, Creative.
2: creative. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm right out of dominance, so whatever that makes me. And most guys are one way or the other. You, you, there's not a ton of guys that are cross-dominant, but females, I'm telling you like 75% of, of females have a cross-dominance or a center dominance. So, interesting. Kinda,
1: You're the first person to tell me that.
2: Yeah, it is, uh, it's pretty interesting. We see it literally every day here at the range.
1: So for women that have that cross-dominant situation going on, do you just kind of work with it? Obviously, you're not going to tape, or do you put tape over one eye? On yeah, the
3: cloud? you would.
2: Yeah, if if your if your if your coordination is with uh, one side or the other, then that that's the eye that we're going to try to shoot with. Um, and so it doesn't have to be a big, you know, piece of tape or whatever on the lens. For example, um, some shooters will take a, 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 a whatever you call it, a whiteboard marker. Sure. Um, and dry just erase? Make dots, yeah, dry race uh, marker, and they'll just make dots on, dots on their eyes. But it's real important because um, where those dots are are what determine whether it's going to work or not. And so when when I'm putting tape or dotting somebody's eye, um, again, we're going to make sure that the gun is empty and safe. And I'll get them to mount it at something in the, uh, um, in the pro shop. And I'll look down the rib. And I'll reach up and I'll make sure that that piece of tape or those dots are right over their pupil. Because if it's not right over the pupil, when they're mounting the gun, when they're looking down the gun, then when they're shooting, it's not going to be in the right spot. Because when you stand to look at me with no gun and I put tape on your eye, I could put it you know, right in the center. But when you mount the gun, now you're seeing over the tape or left of it or right of it or whatever the case might be. And so it's it's not it's not accomplishing what we're trying to accomplish. It's got to be right in the right spot. And it, uh, it'll it take somebody, you know, that kind of knows what they're doing to put it there.
1: Very cool. Well, I'm going to need someone to dot my eye and see if I can prove my my shooting a bit. <laughs> <There are> moments <laughs> well, I feel like I'm doing well, and then other moments I'm like, I'm terrible.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that very well could be it. But hopefully you don't have to wait till August when I get up there. You need to get, uh, you know, one of your local pro shooters to uh, take a look at
3: that, for sure. I do. I want to give a shout out to our friends at the Minnesota Historical Society. You know, right now, the Minnesota History Center is presenting Sherlock Holmes, the exhibition. You can actually step into Victorian London and explore the world of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's world-famous detective. You get to learn about the powers of observation deduction, and science while solving an interactive mystery. Sounds like a ton of fun. Visitors can also try hands-on gadgets and experiments based on real forensics. See how Sherlock Holmes and the stories have influenced real detectives and also pop culture. Open now through April 4th. Learn more at mnhs.org slash Sherlock M. All right. We'd also like to thank North Dakota Tourism.
2: Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Remember FDIC, and equal housing lender.
3: It's time to plan your fall hunt in North Dakota. Get this, with an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks... North Dakota's central region is prime habitat for hunting waterfowl. In fact, right now, the state's breeding duck index sits 38% above the long-term average. And the water's up, too. The spring water index is up 616% over 2021. That's a good thing. Now, when you consider that North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting, guess what? You've got an outdoor oasis. For the latest information about public hunting lands and private land open to sportsmen and women, visit North Dakota Game and Fish Department. Beg your limit this fall in North Dakota. Visit LegendaryND.com.
1: And you are, um, you know, I'm sure our listeners are wondering what guns you're shooting. You're a Cesar guy. Um, I do. I yeah, do. how do you I
2: shoot? A, you I shoot a, yeah, I shoot a um, a Cesar greenie Invictus three in my competition, which is a, a way too pretty of a gun for me. Um, it is beautiful. It's really cool. It's got scrolling and gold gargoyles and the wood on it's unbelievable. That's my competition gun. When I'm doing my trick shooting, I shoot a Fab Fabarm uh, XLR5 Griffin and and now Chesapeake, which is uh, just a total workhorse. It's got a synthetic stock. It's got a Serco receiver. It's a it's a hundred percent factory gun. I haven't done anything to it uh, except for add an extension to it, and I, I put a carbon fiber um, extension tube on it. And the extension tube allows me to load more than the typical five shells that most guns will allow so it's it's uh it's given me the capability to load 13 shells um, wow. but that that fab arm um, is really really reliable and really really fast so for what i do i beat those guns up i throw them i kick them i jump up and down with them i do all the things the guns are not made to do and it just keeps on trucking and it'll shoot uh, 13 rounds in under two seconds. So it's super fast, super fast uh, gas operation, uh, uh, gas operating gun.
1: So cool. Is there? Um, do you ever have a recommendation of you know, as much as even me personally would love to have a sporting clay's gun and then a field gun. Um, you know, I, I wish I could collect them, but, um, not everybody they're they can be expensive. Let's be honest. So right. yeah, if you had to one or the other, you know, is, would you go with your sporting gun? You know, obviously it's a little heavier to carry around in the field. Um, I did notice that with my siren, I have the, the Tempio and I, I love it and, but it's a little bit heavier. Um, so I was, you know, feeling it a little bit at the end of the day, um, but you know, adds, you just burn more calories. What I was telling myself. So um, <laughs> it's good choose, you just, it's like a, you're a weighted vest for you. Um, but if right. you had to choose one, would you go with the the heavier sporting clays gun? Like if you're someone that kind of dabbles in both or do you need the weight? In well, um,
2: what I would say is there's definitely pros and cons to both. So although you're, although your siren Tempio might be, you know, um, half a pound or a pound heavier than what your typical field gun would be. Those heavier guns are going to absorb, you know, 80% more recoil than the lighter guns. So you're, you're carrying an extra pound, but your recovery rate on the bird, it's much less because when you pull the trigger, it's not rocking you back. It's just, it's absorbing the recoil before it gets to the shoulder because it's just a heavier, more dense gun. Um, and so there's pros and cons. You know, the lighter gun, obviously, you can run around with it and don't feel it all day. Um, but it's going to pop you when they pull the trigger, especially when we're shooting those hot hunting loads. Um, but especially if, if when you're, you're just going to three-inch
1: shell. Let's just say that it's
2: like yeah, you're no, no, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Some of these loads that we're shooting um, in the field, you know, we're trying to we're trying to knock down a pheasant at 50 yards. We're, we're throwing all we've got at it, and that thing could thump you especially when we're shooting our, you know, geese and stuff like that. Those, those shells kick pretty good. Um, but in those heavier guns, they're not going to kick as much. Um, but if I was going to, if I was going to have one shotgun, um, and I was going to have one shotgun that I could shoot in the field and on the course, I'd go get, I'd go get a really reliable gas operated, um, semi-automatic and a 30 inch barrel. And most people don't buy 30 inch barrels for hunting. Um, because they they're two inches longer, but if it's if it's going to be a crossover gun, that's what I would get because you can mm-hmm. you're not out of place in any scenario. Um, that that Fabarm XLR5 uh, Chesapeake that I shoot mm-hmm. is a, is an awesome crossover gun. Um, looks really cool on the sporting clay course, and it looks absolutely at home on the on the uh, in the field. And there's a ton of other guns that uh, that can accomplish the same thing, but I like the semi-automatics. They're easy to handle. They're uh, they're easy to shoot, and you have that third sh- shelf capability when you're when you're in the field. Very cool.
1: Well, Travis, you have been a wealth of knowledge for myself and our listeners, and um, we appreciate you joining the Minnesota Bound podcast today to talk about your story as one incredible sporting clay shooter, shotgun, trick shooter, exhibition shooter. Um, if people want to find you, are you on social media website? uh, Where can they look up your, you know, maybe if they want to follow you on tour this summer, where can they find you?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Facebook is just Travis Mears, And then, uh, same thing over on Instagram. And then, uh, my website's travismears.com. And then if uh, anybody in Minnesota is going to come down to Texas, uh, for uh some warmer weather yes Love to see you out at the range uh easy to find me here it's at defenderoutdoors.com and we've got an indoor range where you can shoot fully automatic everything all the pistols rifles that you want and then we've got an outdoor range that's uh sporting clays and so uh would welcome any of you um it's been an absolute pleasure uh, meeting you and your dad up at uh, the game fair. I look forward to coming up each year and hanging out with y'all. And and uh, I razz your dad all year with a few texts and Facebook posts. And uh, I love what y'all do. I love your show and, and hearing people that come to my shows talk about, you know, growing up watching Ron on Minnesota Bound and, and uh, you know, his dogs over the years and now you Taking the reins. It's really, really cool to see what y'all have done. And I uh, hope you're just real proud about that.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. That was very kind of you to say that. We uh, we so enjoy hanging with you at Game Fair um, every year. And, you know, I was telling, sharing with my dad, I was going to have you on the podcast. And he's like, well, tell Travis I saw, he, you know, he shot this mule deer. I think it was a mule deer. <laughs> Um yeah. and you know, maybe if he just would have waited one more year, it would have been a trophy. And uh, why don't you tell <laughs> us how big it really was? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, uh he he was on there talking about a DS shot the other day and I was I was firing back and forth with him. Uh I always have a good time with Ron and uh he, he uh intros my all of my shows there at Game Fair and uh one of his one of his lines is uh about you know we'll forgive him because he's from texas he's still trying to figure out how to talk and uh everybody gets a kick out of that and he uh he tries so hard to say y'all and he cannot do it he'll draw out the, he'll draw out the longest you all that you've ever heard but he cannot say y'all and so I f- I follow up with all right y'all get ready and I and I'll start <laughs> shooting and uh, we just get a kick out of it every time.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yes, my dad yeah. is a liners, He's got a lot of them. That's for sure.
2: Uh, yeah, he's good at it. Oh
1: my gosh! Well, you have a wonderful Christmas and New Year's, and um, boy, before you know it, August is going to be here, and we're going to be back at game fair. So we look forward to seeing you there um but in the meantime uh yeah find Travis Mears it's M-E-A-R-S is his last name on uh, social media Facebook or Instagram keep up with all those his trick shooting it's pretty cool thank you Travis
2: thank you Laura you have a good Christmas and New Year's and I'll see y'all soon thank
1: you appreciate that